0: This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Listen, if you're always running to the bathroom and sometimes just can't make it, we need to talk. You're not alone. I was just like you until I spoke to an expert physician about Axonix therapy. It changed everything. It didn't just give me bladder control. It gave me my life back. Axonics therapy is not another drug. It's just a tiny device you barely have to think about. And it can give you real, lasting relief. You can even try it out first to make sure it works for you. Just take the first step. Get started at findrealrelief.com. That's findrealrelief.com.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 37 of Paderuni And this week I am talking to a girl called Rachel Aurief, who I met in Barcelona. She's an American comedian who moved over to Barcelona after uh, trying to doing stand-up in New York and uh, L.A. and all around the States. And eventually settled in Barcelona and began to perform in Spanish in Barcelona, and she runs a a show there every week, I think, yes. And uh, quite an interesting, very interesting woman. So this week, uh, if you don't know, I was uh, on the Ryan Toberti radio show, um, which kind of happened because of uh, the interview I gave on Irishman abroad. And I talked about panic attacks... And well, I got a bit emotional on the Ryan Turbody show. Um, I was interviewed by the the uh, researcher a couple of times, and they kind of got onto this the the background to you know my mother and all death and all that and uh, and her illness and all that and i I did get emotional after uh, talking to the researcher a couple of times, so I was nervous going in and yeah i just couldn 't hold it together but I you know it feels really weird to be that kind of open or naked emotionally in front of the public but um, but I did get loads of really amazing messages from people on uh twitter and uh, on on uh, Facebook and uh, through my uh, emails people who know me well and people and people who texted me who know me and they've everyone seems to have not everyone but a lot of people have a story as well that and they've shared them with me and uh so it's been it's been pretty co- amazing in that sense quite uh quite an emotional roller coaster of a week but uh because I never expected that for my for for myself to actually kind of break down on air. Ah, uh, but there you go. Certainly would never have thought I'd do something like that 20 years ago. There's no way that would have happened. So maybe that's a it's a it's a good thing. Um but thank you to everybody who contacted me and I haven't had no negative response. So it's it's all been good um so uh yeah so uh yep here we go here's uh, rachel orief enjoy <laughs> when you were in the states, you did this regular stand-up scene. Mm-hmm. You did you, that was what you did. You started I, off as it.
2: Yeah, it started off as regular, but I was always more attracted to the alternative crowd, mostly because yeah. they accepted me, yeah. and because like the regular stand-up is you know is very rigid, and you'd mm. go to the clubs. I'm talking about the late mid to late 90s, and they'd be like, all right, you need so many punchlines per minute. Mm. You, um, you need to have a rhythm. You need to have a voice. Yeah. You, they were very specific, which works in their clubs, and I was still figuring shit out. So, like, the nicest rejection I ever got was from, his name was Lucian Hold. He's dead mm. now. He had sclerosis. Uh-huh. Um, Lever- scleroderma, no, scleroderma, sorry. It was a really nice, mm. refreshingly nice comedy club owner in New York, amazing. And he said... He, he saw me, he, I tested for him at his club, and he goes, you're, you're, not, a, you're not a stand-up, you're an artist. Yeah? <laughs> and I was like, oh, really? He's like, so you can't be in my club. And I was like, oh, but I'm an artist. Okay, good. Well,
1: nice way to <laughs> yeah, nice tell way. someone they can't be. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: that they're not, we don't want you so I would do these weirdo black box theaters in New York City which in the on the Lower East Side which has been destroyed by the banking the bankers have taken yeah. over everything and millionaires but we'd do these theaters and you'd see like uh, you know a prostitute do her interpretive dance emotional catharsis thing put a knife in her thong and blood would come out and she, this writhing around and talking about daddy and how he molested her I'm not joking this is exactly what she did and then you'd have like a a Chinese immigrant guy who was schizophrenic and lived with his mom in New Jersey, and he'd like dress up like Madonna and do a whole drag thing, and then you would have a homeless guy in New York City. His name was Big Mike, and he'd have a tool belt and he'd talk about his experiences. So I was like, "This is what I like. Mm-hmm. I like." I didn't, it's not it's not all watchable, but I was that that's that's where I started to develop my.
1: So that's all gone. You know, I, I, well, I like that kind I, of stuff. Like,
2: how the hell did you even find out about me? Why do you want to interview me? I don't know
1: Oh, understand. because I read about. Oh, first of all, I asked Sarah if there's anyone. I just like whenever I'm away to interview someone on the podcast because it gets boring if I'm just interviewing the same comedians and musicians whoever. So when I was in New York, I interviewed a guy who's a writer. I um, can't remember his name now. But, um, you know. I went to London I interviewed a Shan Bradley who was in a band called the Nipple Erectors that was Shane McGann's first
2: oh, okay. band
1: you know, so it was yeah. morning and we walked around um, the cemetery that Malcolm McLaren is buried in and talked Yeah, dead that's right Yeah, that's weird and she oh, well let's not talk about so like her this she, is your podcast. so
2: she recommended that's cool yeah she nice. recommended it it's you. a small town
1: yeah, yeah. and yeah. Lydia launched as well but I didn't contact Lydia
2: yeah she. I heard she lives here I've never yeah. met her but
1: have you not and I've seen her years ago in Dublin perform. But uh, Yeah, uh, I like what she did. Yeah. I like
2: her videos on YouTube. Yeah. When I never actually saw her.
1: Yeah. But, and actually, you're from Milwaukee. I did an Irish festival in Milwaukee this yeah. August. Irish fest. Irish yeah. Irish festival? Irish fest
2: at Summerfest, at the Summerfest grounds. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They have great. They, they do have. Well, it's a nice. America's a melting pot.
1: Yeah, it's. Did it's, you like it, it? It was tough for the comedy. Uh, they, they, it was the first comedian they'd had at the Irish Fest for thirty years. Oh, so. really? Yeah, and the first night was good. I had five shows, and the first night was amazing. Uh, second night was the early show was good, and then the late show because people didn't have to stay. It was just a marquee, and they can wander around to different things. So
2: that sucks because no yeah. one has to invest in what you're yeah. doing in their setups and. Yeah.
1: And also there there are people who go to Irish Fest are a bit more conservative than your average Joe Soap, I
2: think. And America's more conservative, like sexual themes are like really crazy now. Right. Like the fundamentalist yeah. Christianity
1: and Yes, anything about religion didn't work for me. <laughs> yeah. Except for the first night for some reason. It all went were great and I thought this is gonna be brilliant. But then some nights there was kids in and I had to really yeah. tone down very soon. It sucks. So, do you, do you, what, what do you. You grew up <laughs> in Milwaukee, what's your impression?
2: <laughs> I was just I had a similar experience to that, we'll tell you later. Um, yeah, I grew up there and I left when I was 17, like mm-hmm. as soon as I could get away. Because that's how it is in America, you know. Like, the kids want to get out. Well, at least they used to when I was growing mm-hmm. up, and the parents were like, what are you still doing here? Get out. Mm-hmm. Go to college, or, you know, we're yeah. done. And I was like, no, 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 we're done. Like I was like, no, we're done. I said that a year ago. So I was like, so I went to college somewhere else. Because it says yeah.
1: on your website it does dysfunctional family.
2: Oh, does it? Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what? Which website? It's your website.
2: My personal website. Yeah, yeah. What does it say like a blog? It
1: something. Uh, no, about you. I went to the about section. And okay. There's one <laughs> line that said, uh, I realized I had to get away from. I think it was Right. Um, yeah, I think a
2: lot of comedians come from not all, not all, but there's this prototype of comedian or artist, but especially stand-up where they're in a situation where like the family dynamic is not that not such as where you're free to express
1: mm.
2: what you really think is when you're angry or sad about something. Mm. So what's the best way to do it, make it into a joke?
1: Right. It's a right. code. Yeah, yeah. So
2: for years, I was telling jokes about my mother, about my family, and like not totally conscious that I was just trying. Well, yeah, I was. I was, I needed, I knew I needed to tell these jokes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people would be like, that's an awful thing to say about your mother. And I was like, why? Doesn't everyone's mother do that? And then, like, I found out, no. (laughs) You know?
1: Like, what kind of things are you talking about? If I don't know if you want to talk like, about No,
2: it. like, the jokes, like, mm. the jokes, like, um... I, I would just make up, you know, I just... These jokes, like... I mean, the mo- a very benign one is, like, my mother and I have a tense relationship. I suppose it stems from the fact that it was a very difficult birth, and she suffered a lot, because she had to have me... She had to deliver me anally the same way that I was conceived. And it's, like imagining her in such pain makes me really happy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> really, <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Not anymore, but like when I wrote the joke, you know? Yeah, yeah, Like, it was like, I need to feel that. I need to be able to say that, you know? I need to be able to say, my mother and I, my mother hates me. So yeah. how do I say it? I make it into a joke.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting.
2: And no one's going to go, why is she saying that? They're just going to be like, oh, that's gross. <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and then
2: that. sometimes there were jokes that I'd say and I thought, I would think, okay, they're not going to be funny to everybody, but a lot of people will think they're funny, and nobody, maybe one person out of 200 did, and I'm like, because they came from the same exact abusive situation that I did. Mm-hmm. So that, that'd be, because one of my jokes was like, uh, the thing that makes a mother's love so special is the fact that all mothers secretly want to kill their children and eat them, and so you're really grateful when they don't. And that's just basically a narrative of like, uh, an abusive household where the, the, uh, like an abused child is, f- feels love for their abuser when they don't abuse them. You know?
1: Mm. Who's
2: gonna get that?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. A yeah. lot of people,
2: it right. turns out, but, yeah. you know, but maybe they're not aware or they yeah. maybe they can't laugh at that, mm.
1: you know? And is that, like, um, uh, affect your relationships as well. I, you know, some people have this. I think I might be a bit like that, where you can't accept being loved because your uh, formative relationship was one of kind of emotional.
2: Yeah, I wrote this, uh, a lot about that actually. So, yeah. Yeah. Actually, you can't. You can't accept. That. That was one of my jokes also. Like, like when I'd be bombing, I'd say. I, I love being a stand-up comic so much mm-hmm. because here on the stage, I can feel what did I say? Oh, because I grew up in an abusive family, so I feel the same. like I, this, that's comfortable to me, and I feel yeah, yeah you that's know right. like, yeah so, I well, love feeling your hatred. at least I know I exist. you know like yeah. you can't accept people's love because it makes you feel guilty because you feel you don't deserve it, and you feel like you're a fraud, that there's nothing about you to love. And then on another level, you also feel like I can't accept love because I don't even exist. Mm. I'm a phantom. I don't exist. That's another part of it. Do you also That's the more fun part because it doesn't hurt as much.
1: Right. And you also also think, well, not really trust the fact that someone loves you. you no, know? nah, they, they keep saying it, but I don't believe it. Did did that ever... Yeah,
2: yeah, Yeah, they say, like, actually, and, and like, people, like, would come up to me after my shows, and they'd be like, I love, like, they could be the most passionate, you you changed my life, like, they could say the best thing you could ever hear, Yeah. and, like, my soul would go, like, up to the ceiling and just hang out, and, like, my body would, like, my robot body would accept it and say the right things, Mm. and I'd be like, I can't, it's not real, Mm. I don't, I, I don't, you know... Mm. And then and then I forget about it, mm. like I you know like I, like the distant This is why I want to talk about when you're on stage.
1: I'm just going to close that door as well. It's mm-hmm. a bit of sound.
2: Don't jump. <laughs> Was that depressing?
1: Yeah. Nope. So yeah. So I'm, I'm just pro- gonna.
2: This is really fun. Whoa! Yeah. <laughs>
1: uh, sorry, you were about to say something, and I just. Keep, keep, no, like as a comedian,
2: I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Like, like after the show, like I was thinking about you when you were in the show last night, and like you had to walk through the fucking crowd when you're all done, you know? Yeah, yeah, you're crazy. like, thank you, good night, and then you're like,
1: it like takes ten minutes, and I saw like you didn't look
2: at anyone, and I was like, oh, cause like I hate, I hate it when there's no green room to disappear into because all of a sudden people who have. They think they've been watching you and know. They think they know you, and they're, they're, then they're like, they want to talk to you because they think you're going to be as great a guy as that guy yeah, they yeah, just yeah, saw yeah, on stage. Yeah, yeah. And it just feels so crushingly disappointing when you, you can't deliver. You disappoint
1: them. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. If everybody could see what happens in the green room when there's four comics sitting around, that's just they look really depressed before they go on. There's nothing exciting happening.
2: No, it's, the audience it's, probably yeah. think
1: we're all in there just gagging away and having a laugh
2: <laughs> yeah I think I think stand-up comedy is one of the mis- most misunderstood yeah. professions in every way yeah from like let me tell you a joke I know you'll love it to like you know they think you're a happy person yeah. to they think that you're real <laughs> you know yeah yeah so like, like if people are talking to you after a show do you find it hard to even listen like to even take in and have a conversation
1: yeah yeah, I'm listening. I'm, I'm pretending to listen.
2: You're just, you're just like, you're still like mm. not. You have to come down, right?
1: Mm, Yeah.
2: You're like in a disassoci-
1: dissociative state. Quite often, I'm thinking of bits I did wrong or bits I knew bit I did in my head. So there's someone talking and I'm just thinking of that.
2: That's good. That's more health. That sounds more healthy because you're actually still working. Mm. Because you're still like. Mm. You're being productive.
1: Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. like,
2: I go on stage and it's like. I was going to say something really offensive. So I'll oh. say it, because we're fucking... I, I go on stage and I'm like... It's like something... I'm not going to say it, It's not funny anymore. <laughs> I go on stage and it's like... I don't even remember what happened. Like, I remember... I know I know if I feel... I, I know if I feel good or bad, generally, about what happened. But, yeah. but like, I don't remember. That's it, pretty disturbing. Yeah, really, yeah. It's like, what am I? Who am I? Where am I? You don't,
1: you don't have to remember what happened on stage I mean you go into a different I I record things
2: yeah later but like I don't it's like a dissociative state yeah Yeah. that's interesting and actually I realized I like being on stage because I'm an introvert I don't like a lot of stimulus stimuli social stimuli coming at me so and people are like how can you be an introvert and be on stage and I'm like because that way I have all of you very far away from me and I can see exactly what's going on and I can control you it's pretty sick. No, it's amazing. No,
1: because it's not the same as interacting with people, being on stage. You know, it's no. It's not it's a completely different thing.
2: No, it's a monologue. Exactly. Which yeah. is a horrible word that they use for comedy in this country. Oh really? In Spanish, monologues, which sounds so fucking boring. Yeah. yeah, yeah you know, they don't say. They don't say comedia, they, or they don't have stand-up comedy. You know.
1: They do a monologue.
2: Monologue, which could be. Dramatic, or but be- it
1: could be a presentation for your workmates. Yeah, monologue. Yeah. But it does mean that you just get to speak; no one else gets to speak. Yeah, which is which is the safe option. And so when you did when you did the the scene then in in America, you did you finish with the stand up scene pretty quickly and go to? You said you went to this other kind of club where sorts also- of
2: I always well, wait, well it, when I got there when mm-hmm. I. I started in Austin, Texas. They had this club called the Velveeta Room, which is yes. great. Yeah? Austin is great if you've ever been there. No, I'd love
1: to go. You know, Wonderful. Yeah, what's people? Uh, slackers made in Austin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah a lot of
2: uh, the, the, uh, hippie amazing. pothead culture, very laid back. Mm. You know, a lot of Mexican, Latino influence and a, a very artsy scene and mm. great music.
1: Yeah, yeah. Great yeah. music. Oh, so yeah, I'm from Austin.
2: They're from Athens, Georgia. Oh, Athens, Georgia, yes. yeah. yeah. But in Austin, the, the mm. comedy and the music scene um, interacted a lot, mm-hmm. a lot more than other cities that I lived in afterwards, like in New York so or L.A. So
1: comedy and music on the same night? Just or like, either?
2: like, okay, like, this things have things seem to have changed a lot since I left mm. the U.S. Yeah. But like, when I was starting to do comedy, musicians did their thing, comedians did their thing, and... there was a comedian with a guitar you know Mm -hmm. but musicians and comedians respected each other but like
1: didn't interact they
2: didn't interact they didn't do the same shows Mm -hmm. musicians didn't try comedy comedians didn't well the 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 saying was that musicians always wanted to do comedy and the comedians were failed musicians in a lot of cases yeah 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 Yeah. like bitter failed musicians (laughs) but now it seems like there's a lot of there's a lot more interaction like like celebrities and comedians like Zach Galifianakis started Mm. the Between Two Ferns things
1: yeah that's brilliant yeah
2: and um just a lot more interaction like a lot they've kind of broken down these barriers Mm. between these arts you know And I think it's very cool. It's
1: cool. Actually, didn't Zach Galifianakis and a few others do a tour called Comedians of Comedy? Yeah. Yeah. I know all those people. Oh, do you? I I used to
2: do comedy with them. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 Um, So, like, when I was doing comedy in New York, you know, I mean, New York, that's, you can't get any higher, you know, up the ladder. So Mm. the clubs were very stringent in what they wanted. Mm. And there was this... Comedy scene that was burgeoning at the time, mm. which was already getting its its backlash, but it was a reaction against the '80s, the dominant '80s hacky male-driven um, stand-up punchline, not very reality-based comedy. Mm. And these this this comedy right. scene was called the alternative comedy scene, or it was called integrity-based comedy, which sounds yeah. awful. Janine Garofalo used to use that term, integrity-based yeah, that comedy. Sounds bit, yeah. It sounds extremely self-righteous. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: But the point was, we're going to tell the truth. Yeah. And we're, I don't know, it's just, it was just a different personality type. Yeah. Instead of the, hey,
1: <laughs> it was so, like... Who are you talking about in the 80s? These are people like who, that were the old style.
2: Like Robin, okay, Robin Williams, but yeah. like, like, just like, like all the Dice good man comedians. Like,
1: hmm? the Dice oh. Man, Dice Man, Craig. Oh, Dice
2: was hated by yeah. like, these comics by then. Yeah, yeah and, yeah, and yeah. like. Um, yeah, that kind of although stuff. Although now I respect. I don't respect what he did, but I. I, I now I see the whole context, you know. Oh, yeah. If someone's telling their truth, and their truth is misogynistic, racist, hateful, disgusting shit. Uh, what fuck? I support that. What were you gonna do? Lie? Don't right, lie. Yeah, yeah. If you don't like it, walk out or turn it off. I'd...
1: Right. Yeah. And that's where he came from, and he was reflecting that as well.
2: Yeah. And now it's yeah. like it's, it's so funny to see his decline, his decay. You know, like everybody, he he becomes an old man. He's out of shape. He's got these huge Robert Evans glasses, and now he he's you, he's kind of lovable. You know, and you yeah. you feel sorry for the guy, and you see. The vulnerability yeah. that from which that fear-based aggression came, mm. and you can actually, oh, okay, makes sense, and, and you appreciate mm. that truth of Van der Clay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know,
1: I didn't really get it. But at
2: the time, but... in the '80s, he was on top. He was holding oh. people down. You know, he was yeah. he was oppressing women. Not him, but he represented everything that fucking made my life miserable and gave people's lives miserable and whatever who wants to see another powerful white guy exercising his power that's boring Mm. but a lot of people liked that
1: but uh, it wasn't funny so much as people went there to uh, assert that attitude wasn't it and they kind of go yeah yeah they weren't laughing they were more. Punch in the air. Yeah,
2: and that character, which yeah. is always fun—that Brooklyn goomba—like people just yeah. love that character, and yeah. that's what he was. Mm. So
1: sorry, so I'm the taking. The reaction so long. anyway against this, and and uh, not necessarily just Dice Hard play, but that. And what kind of comedians are you talking about then? Are the new style?
2: Well, this this was new in the late in the mid to late '90s, but these mm. underdog comedians started coming up that were mm. like. I think most comedians are very smart, so I'm not saying the 80s comedians were not. But mm. their comedy was a different level of intellect intellect and risk-taking. Mm. And they were kind of like the nerdy guys, the pre-hipsters, oh. the, the women who were like... Like the Janine Garofalo types like, fuck you, you know, like I'm not going to... You know, fuck. This is bullshit. What you want me to do as an actress? And the before it was the the female comic when I started was like Ellen DeGeneres and Paula Poundstone were the top females, and and they're great com- comedians. Mm. But what did that represent in the eyes of the mainstream culture? Mm. Closeted gay women, women who aren't really attractive, and and there was this concept like attractive women can't be funny. Yeah. You know, if you if it's if you have the misfortune of being a female comic, you better be unattractive too, <laughs> because then you, it's just too much of an uphill battle. You know, yeah, yeah. and Sarah Silverman just destroyed that. Yeah. You know, so when I when I got to New York, there was Mark Maron who's got that podcast, What the Fuck
1: I (WTF), know. It inspired me to yeah. do my own podcast. Yeah, yeah.
2: That guy has not had. He was he was pegged by. New York Magazine or Time Out New York, one of these big New York magazines, it's like, one of the four top promising, like, soon-to-be celebrity comedians in, like, 1993 or four. You know, him, Sarah Silverman, Louis C.K. Yeah. And who else? I don't know, maybe David Cross or somebody. But Mark Maron was the one who, like, it never took off for him. Mm. Louis C.K. became huge, Sarah Silverman... When I, first saw, when I first saw those people When I first saw Sarah Silverman I was like Fuck I love this woman She is sociopathically funny She scares me She's so funny She scares me Like She does not spoon feed anything She does not She does not explain herself yeah. She just hands over Society's neuroses Straight up Mm-hmm. you know and no dilution and lets people put it in their pipe and smoke it you know mm-hmm. and she was performing for these hip crowds mm-hmm. so they got it but I was like fuck I was just thinking as a woman saying the stuff she's saying as anybody but as a god you know she's got some balls on her cause she'd say with this delivery like this really earnest kind of childlike innocent delivery these the most vile thoughts yeah yeah and her humor, you know, like if you're a dumb person, you could listen to her racist humor and think, oh, that's funny. She said nigger, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. But actually her her comedy had, to it seemed seem obvious to me, had this deeply moral root. Yeah. And a deeply political, um, very specific political point of view.
1: Yeah, pretty clever. Very clever. Yeah. yeah. She was
2: constantly commenting on white people's racism and... Privilege and and mm. capitalistic culture and first world privilege and mm. it was like being punched in the gut, listening to her jokes yeah. and no sugarcoating, no laughing at her own stuff, no preparing us with a smile.
1: Yeah, they, no,
2: and that shit. they do that here.
1: Oh, do they, yeah? All
2: the time! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a comedian, so I gotta laugh at every joke I say to remind you that it's comedy, so just in case you get mad, in case I cross the line. I know.
1: No know one really bugs me is when a comedian uh, pretends that he can't stop laughing at something he just said. That's you know. <laughs> it's really awful. It's <laughs> really awful. Especially when you see the same comic. If you're in a club three nights in a row, oh, and then you, same, you see the same, you see the stick. same little... Thing that looks like it just happened uh, on the night, and but it happens every night.
2: <laughs> yeah. So I'm sorry. I want to get this so, alternative. Oh, yeah, I keep, yeah. so keep digressing.
1: Sarah Silverman and, the, and, K and This Sip-
2: alternative comedy scene mm. in New York. It was a club called Luna Lounge. It was a music club, and that was like, whoa, hey, they're, they're doing a these comedians in a, in a music club and it was very hip they had a couple couches and then people sat on the floor mm-hmm. and it was a big bar it was on Ludlow Street which is now owned by the stockbrokers yeah. and and there was Zach I, I. the first time I went up okay the guy who started this this night I don't know if you're interested in all this but oh, yeah. he was Chris he was maybe still is Chris Rock's manager his name's Dave Becky he started this alternative comedy night at Luna Lounge and all these amazing comedians went up: Janine Garofalo, Zach Galifianakis, mm. Mark Marin, Greg Fitzsimmons. Some of these people are super famous now, you know, and some aren't. But they're they were all amazing comedians. <clears throat> and um, I sent a tape to Dave Becky when I was in L.A. or um, Austin. Super green comic. I, um, my, his assistant had gone to high school with my little brother. So she was like, I can have Dave watch your tape. And it, you know, it was a, like three month like a new comedian. I was a chick and he was like, Hey, you know, you're pretty good. Come up at my cl- You can go up at my club, come to New York. And I was like, Oh, okay. And then I went to New York and just moved, <clears throat> yeah, I just moved there. Yeah. Well, there was kind of a drama. I was with a drug dealer and we had to leave because he mailed a package of pot to, uh, Michigan and, it got intercepted, so that we left quicker. You know? Okay. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. I had a few things to work out. Two reasons. To so yeah. So then we get to New York. I'm like, okay, I'm here. I'm a fugitive from justice, and I'm ready to go up. And then he was like, um, okay, thanks. <laughs> but he did let me go up up at the club. Mm. I thought, you know, oh, this guy will manage me. You know, of course he didn't, because he's managing really great comedians. <laughs> but he, I did go up at the club, and I had to follow. Rich Hall, the guy who had this...
1: Rich Hall, boy. I know Rich Hall. Yeah, Sniglitz
2: him. guy? Yeah,
1: he's, he's huge in the UK now. Yeah. Ireland. They love him in Ireland. Yeah. yeah,
2: he's good. Yeah, yeah. I had to follow him. I was like, yeah. oh my fucking God. And Sarah Silverman up went up that night. Dave Chappelle would go up at that club. Yeah. Incredible comedians. Wow. And there were comedians like Dave Attell. Yeah. He's yeah. the comics comic, yeah. or at least he used to be. He's a great comic... Uh. Dave Attell was also a client of Dave Becky's. Mm -hmm. Dave Becky managed him. And Dave Attell was like, this alternative comedy label is bullshit. I'm not going to part... I don't submit to this marketing Mm -hmm. scheme. So he refused to go up because he would only go up at straight clubs. Because he was such a tough comic. You know, he was so... And... I think a lot of us who were in the alternative comedy scene, and maybe some of them will be mad at me for saying, but I'll speak for myself. We didn't, we couldn't handle the abuse of going up at a regular at a club. T- yeah, yeah. Plus, our style was too long form. The clubs didn't want us. You know, they wanted.
1: Because those are what you just do ten minutes, is it? The other clubs, ten, fifteen.
2: Well, it's it's more like the stat, the how long you take to tell your joke oh, and yeah. you know storytelling comedy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so you gotta pay attention, you gotta be invested in the show, you gotta you know, you gotta want to hear it till the end and it builds and builds and builds and then it's a yeah. reward. Mm-hmm. But if it's a comedy club and people are drunk and, you know, maybe not the most sophisticated crowd, you have to get it quicker, you know, yeah. than a punch. hmm
1: mm-hmm. So Which drains the life out of comedy that kind of club.
2: It kinda well, yeah. it just makes it
1: very formulaic because if you wanna get a joke, a to drunk audience it's got to be quick you know
2: plus i think it's a cycle of disrespect mm. because com almost every comedy club i've been to that's a mainstream club mm. um, sticks it to the audience with the prices of the drinks mm. i know they have to make a profit you have to have a two drink minimum but mm. the, they you know they're not treated very well it's it's a mass turnover and the worst is like the comedy seller In New York, you know, they just treat you like shit Mm. and they stick you, you know, you have to pay a shitload of money. So then the audience is resentful Mm. of the venue and then the comics get a beating from the audience.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so this alternative scene started a new club and completely separate from that then? And that's...
2: Yeah, yeah. It was a music venue. Yeah. It was young people. You didn't have the two drink minimum. I don't even think you had to pay to get in. Yeah. No, I, I maybe you no maybe you did, but it wasn't like you had to make that financial investment. You sat. You were there for the comedy. Yeah. You weren't there to like impress your date. You sat on the floor. You know they yeah. didn't serve food and all that bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. You were there for the comedy, and you'd see like comedians who were already super respected working out their new material and that was an exciting cool. thing. And it created this appreciation in the audience they could see how comedy works. Yeah. And and it started to deconstruct comedy. Mm. You know?
1: So you make you could bring up your notes and stuff and leave them there. Yeah. The
2: and Janine Garoffel got famous for never leaving her notes. Like she'd always like read. She'd read off a clipboard. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She'd say, I have no memory, fuck it, I'm gonna read my comedy. And some people were like, oh, that's super disrespectful. She should at least memorize her act for the audience. And some yeah. people were like, no, 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 fuck us. That's cool that she's, like, not going to bother, you know? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And that was
2: her old image back then in the 90s. That's brilliant.
1: That's really yeah. cool, yeah, yeah. I love um, this great episode of Louis C.K.'s, well, what's it called? A sitcom or whatever. Yeah. Um, where there's a girl talking. Have you ever seen that episode? Was the girl talking in the club, and he turns to her and he...
2: Yeah, in the comedy cellar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. And How did the that go?
1: Abuse. He gave her. He said you're a cunt or something.
2: Yeah, and, uh, he just destroyed her.
1: And uh, your mother's a cunt, and she said, <laughs> "My mother's dead." And he said, "Well, she's a dead cunt." <laughs> <laughs> he said, "When you were born, being born, somebody passed by the the." Uh, Ward and looked in and said, "Look, there's a cunt coming out of a cunt's cunt." It's <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, but, uh, it's brilliant stuff.
2: But- See, but only in that a culture like that can that stuff come out. Yeah, yeah. That stuff nobody would dare say here.
1: In Spain, really? I thought the the, the cursing here. In no, Spain no,
2: is- they curse, but right. the cruelty.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Is yeah, not yeah. part
2: of this culture. The people. Are, this is this mm-hmm. culture. I stopped doing comedy here for various reasons because mm. there was no scene for mm. me to be a part of. Mm. And you can't... It's very depressing being the only person there. There were comedians, but I didn't mm. respect their comedy. Mm. I'm not saying there's no but comedians like, who I would respect here. Yeah. I just can't bear to filter them out. Right, yeah, I can't yeah, bear to watch hard work, comedy yeah. that... It, it twists a knife in my stomach when I see people being fake... Clowny, stereotypical, condescending to the audience. The material's not funny. None of it's real. Mm. It's just manipulative. I can't take it. It hurts me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I meet you
1: there. I'm with you. So let, let, let's go, go back because yeah. you, you you were part of that scene. What happened then?
2: So um,
1: you're in New York. You've moved to New York.
2: Yeah, I was in New York. Did you? And and then I met, ended up and I. I developed. I would do these one-woman shows Mm -hmm. in these weirdo black box theaters, and then like do. And I got picked up by an agency there Mm -hmm. that was Mm bi-coastal, and then um, because when once I got with that agency, I moved to LA Mm -hmm. to to, uh, pursue the stand-up, the stand-up, hopefully a sitcom. Career, right? That that's, everyone was trying to do. Is that
1: what every uh, American comic does? eventually? Back then they did. I yeah. don't know
2: what they do now. Maybe they try to get their own podcast or something. <laughs> I, I haven't been in America since... Like, I cut everything off. Like, like, I don't... Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I've been back a couple times, but I don't even keep up. Yeah. Like, I wish I did. But so much has changed. But yeah, that's what people, comedians would get their eight minutes... They'd try to get picked up by an agency. Try to get on TV, the Tonight Show, Mm -hmm. or you know Letterman or whatever, Comedy Central, so that they could get seen by um, networks. Mm -hmm. And then they would have you know meetings and try to you know pitch a show to be made about them. Yeah, that was their comic material, and usually.
1: And you you gotta go to L.A. to be doing that, right?
2: Yeah, L.A. Or, or New York. And, and yeah. I actually, got I got a shot. I was in the Montreal Comedy Festival, Just for Laughs. Oh, yeah. And that, at the time, was the biggest comedy festival in North America. Yeah. I think it's been superseded now. So I was on the New Faces showcase, and I got some meetings after that, you know, with uh, Worldwide Pants, David Letterman's yeah. company. and uh not so but know. but nothing came of it, you mm. know. Nothing came of it. I wasn't I wasn't good enough. My set wasn't good enough. I wasn't devi- defined enough as a comic. There's mm. just there's too many good comedians. Mm. And then I started to lose focus on the stand up. I started to get more into piano. T- I mean, mm. I always played the piano and singing. I have a CD called How to Be Happy All the Time. Uh-huh. It's on Spotify. and It was. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, satirical songs. Cool. Oh. That, and so I started to get more into like, mm-hmm. I started to lose focus on stand up. Mm-hmm. So then people started to say, it's, you know, why are you giving me the CD? Are you a stand up or a musician, you know? Mm-hmm. And it didn't help me in that way. And I started to lose interest. In, and personal things were going on too, where I just I couldn't focus on. Doing all the work that you need to do, you know, to, well, to you advance. you still in the
1: relationship with the guy from Austin? No, no, no.
2: Thank mm-hmm. goodness he left me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When we were in New York, he found a waitress at his the bar he was working at. He yeah. Started getting on a thing with her, and then he told me that I, we were over. So <laughs> he did me a favor. Okay. But um, no, I was I got married when I was in oh. New York. We moved to, out to L.A. and. We we're divorced. After we divorced, he wrote like five awesome lit books. My husband he was a, Yeah, yeah. His name's Bob Powers.
1: Bob Powers? And where the Sounds books?
2: like a porno name, but he's actually a real guy. He, he is one of them's <laughs> called Happy Cruelty Day, another one's called Um He wrote some kind of choose your own adventure. The terrible, horrible tempt to perm debacle.
1: Yeah.
2: Um where something about werewolves. Okay, I'll check them out. Yeah.
1: Actually I haven't heard of him, but Yeah.
2: I, you know sometimes comedians can filter all the fucked up things in their life into their comedy and I couldn't it was like it, it was I had to figure out my life you know before more could happen and I was being impeded by my life circumstance and I was like all over the place yeah so then when I was like in this all over the place state cause what else happened in LA not much in Montreal Comedy Festival I was a total dick to Jimmy Kimmel we were in. <laughs> He was he was before he got the the show his talk show yeah and we had to share a van ride to the airport and he was there with his brother and Jimmy Kimmel is just the way he seems like he's the most down to earth nice humble guy yeah. but I hated his show that he had done on Comedy Central the Man Show with yeah. Adam Carolla who I can't stand yeah um podcast king Adam Carolla but I can't stand the guy like I just hate his personality mm-hmm. and I hated their show The Man Show so because of that I I did to Jimmy Kimmel what I hate what I hate what people do to me you know where they judge me because of like one joke I said or mm-hmm. that they didn't agree with you know yeah and I could see what a great guy he was, yeah. but I was with my husband and I, we were both in this shell of like hermetic shell, like nah, oh, oh, Jimmy Kimmel, the man oh, in the van. We were probably just jealous of him too, you know? Yeah. So we're in this van on the, and I remember him saying, um, he was just trying to break the ice with everybody. Cause we were like, nah. <laughs> and he was like, you know how women always are taking showers and so it's was, it was like he was trying to... Like he was doing the comic thing of breaking into a bit. Like, yeah. you know, like trying out bits.
1: And so... That's so, not something I like, actually. actually.
2: Nobody really likes it. Yeah. But instead of like giving it to him, going along with the effort of trying to be civil in a van where everybody's cranky and it's early in the morning and they need to get... Instead, we were just like, no, I don't know what you're t- Women don't take showers. Take sexist. <laughs> it's like right. like he just dug himself in a deeper hole with that... And then, like, later it was Divine Justice, like, where he gets, like, the biggest talk show ever and he totally pushes the envelope of comedy even more. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I was a dick. It's too
1: to email him and go, look, we do take showers. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, actually, I've done that before where you... uh... Meet someone and you find something that you, they did probably loads of good stuff and the, but you find the one thing you didn't like and then decide for some reason you're going to be really honest with them about how you didn't like that thing. I don't know what is it's a real self-destructive thing to do, isn't it? To
2: yeah, it's like say. it's infantile. Yeah, I think because either you feel like you need to take this performer, showbiz person, glamorous person down a peg. Mm. Or you actually think that they're interested in your personal life or your thoughts when they don't know you from dick. Yeah. Why would you think that? Mm. And yeah. on, conversely, I don't know, you know the English language better than me. Or inversely? Yeah, conversely, I think. Comedians... Do you know the comedian, you know she is Maria Bamford?
1: I I've kicked with her in Dublin. She's a she's she was, a,
2: she was my neighbor and we were good friends when I lived in LA. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful comedian and person. Yeah. So one time she was talking like after the first time she went to England, mm. um she was back in LA and she's very vulnerable, you
1: know. Mm. You know her. she comes across that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: And she is. Yeah. And so she's telling this story in like an open mic and we're all dying laughing because we could so relate. She's like, you know, I did this gig in England and it was a really rowdy crowd and I'm telling my jokes and there's this guy that decides to heckle me. And so like, she goes, I was doing really, really well. Everyone liked what I was doing. Mm -hmm. But one guy didn't. So instead of just putting him down or doing what you gotta do with the heckler and then moving on, I stopped the show Mm. and asked him why he didn't like me. (laughs) That is... 200 people. I focus on the one dick and ask, why don't you like me? Yeah. And what does he say? He stands up and announces in front of this room full of people, because you're ugly. Oh, my God. And she... Barely had time to turn her head and walk to the edge of the stage and give the mic to the MC and leave crying. Oh,
1: Jesus!
2: And all the comedians we were like, "Yes, <laughs> yes." I mean, yeah. not every person would react that way, yeah. but it was like, you know, the point was, why do I focus mm-hmm. on that one person who hates me and then give them all my power?
1: I know. I've done that before I haven't actually stopped but, but i focus on that person and keep looking at them yeah that one person that's just there with their arms folded and not laughing
2: and maybe they're folded because they have diarrhea and they love you but they don't feel good yeah yeah but you're not going to ever take that into account right no
1: <laughs> and, and something in your head's going I'm going to make that person laugh and what about all these other people that are actually enjoying the show yeah. and why yeah.
2: is it so important yeah you know hmm But then, again, why would you be on stage doing something as abnormal as talking
1: about your life? You're obviously starting from a very low emotional rung in the ladder anyway.
2: (laughs) I think it's heroic what stand-up comics do. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, it is. I mean, I've been in a band, and uh, you you can go on, and the audience can be chatting away, which are loud, and there's five of you. Yeah, it's totally different. You have an instrument, you know. I've yeah. done sketch comedy where I've worn wigs and all that, but then you're not yourself. But to just stand there and be you with just your microphone—yeah, that is pretty courageous. Yeah. Thing to do of all those things, and so you—you you, you, uh, decided at that point to leave the states, was it? Or yeah, or, when two thousand
2: three. Yeah, yeah. I actually it was a totally impulse move. Like I. Yeah. I was temping at, you know, you know how it is if you're a comedian, you work some yeah. shitty office job, or yeah. you work in a strip club, or you, you're a bartender, or you, mm. I don't know, you do something, right? I mean, this is a thing, like, I had friends who, like, made it, they were on a big series, and then mm. the series got canceled, and they went back to bartending. Are you serious? Yeah. Really? I mean, they didn't get their own series made, but, like, you know, I had friends who were, oh, she got cast in a series as an, as an ensemble uh, group you know and, and it's the hot new series and it lasted like less than a season and guess what she hasn't had that kind of job since That's, that's, that's tough. it's tough that's what it is right mm. and you're in the sea of hungry people
1: mm. I get the impression in America though, that there is that massive jump like if you you can go from probably working a part time job to stand up and suddenly it could take off would that be true? I don't know.
2: It never <laughs> happened to me. It could. I don't know. Yeah.
1: If you know, you're just luckier. You
2: could marry some rich guy, too. Well, uh, you
1: could do that. You could
2: do the do Anna that. Nicole Smith thing.
1: Yeah. You, who it was really very funny, by the her. way. Have she was very her? funny.
2: No, yeah. I just saw her series. Did you ever see it?
1: Uh, Maybe one episode. Well, she was kind of off her head a lot, wasn't she? Yeah. yeah. But
2: she had a spark. She had a. She had that Texas... She had, a, like, the worst beginnings probably ever. Like, like just came from total shit. Yeah. White trash, poor background, like, no culture whatsoever. And she had a personality, mm. you know. She, that, that stuff doesn't happen just because you have big tits and you look good. You have to have some kind of magnetism and personality and some kind of intelligence, even if it's not common sense intelligence, but you got it. She knew how to work the old man. <laughs> you know? Oh,
1: yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. She, I mean.
1: Amazing, actually.
2: But anyways, yeah. So I was temping in this awful, um, particularly awful insurance company down in downtown LA before it got hip. <laughs> mm-hmm. During the lunch break, you could actually go to the, like a bar and see the taxi dancers. Mm-hmm. You know, like they were like these really downtrodden, semi-prostitute women who would you could pay them to dance with you.
1: Yeah. Dance. yeah. Like a like a lockdown type thing.
2: Yeah, but you'd like yeah. dance like it was they were like Latino bars. Just dance around
1: the floor, not in a private yeah, room. Yeah, like, like dance with them like, with them. like, like yeah, them. it was weird.
2: It's like yes. some throwback to decades past. It it was yeah. in this weird phantom zone. I mean if you're in LA yeah. if you're in Hollywood trying to make it as a actor or a performer, you don't want to be temping in downtown LA. Because yeah. geographically it's like a different city. Yeah from the, the rest of LA and you're and it's also a time warp. Right. It's Charles Bukowski land. Yeah you know? Totally decadent. I would take the subway there. LA had a subway that was like three inches long and it would go like to the downtown and drop me off at my horrible job. So at that job I bought some plane tickets for Barcelona. Like I need a vacation.
1: Oh, right so just, initially just a vacation.
2: Yeah, Is like it? Americans don't take vacations. Mm. Like we don't we don't enjoy we we can't Enjoy life and experience new things and disconnect. You know, Mm. and so I decided to take a vacation because they just offered me to offered me a permanent position at this insurance company, Mm -hmm. and I was about to take it, and I knew I'd ruin my life if I did that. So I'm like, no, I'm gonna take a vacation in Barcelona for too long, so that they'll have to fire get someone else.
1: Yeah, right, right, right.
2: So I did that and met a guy here, fell in love, Mm -hmm. and just decided, no, I'm okay. I'm done with that. I'm I'm here now. Cool. Cool, but. Why did I do that? You know? (laughs) But that's what I did. And I just continued to do what I did always over there, but here and in Spanish.
1: But did you know, did you speak Spanish before you came?
2: I thought I did. (laughs) (laughs) And above all, I thought I understood it. Mm. But, you know, like Mexican Spanish is different from Spanish Spanish. So it took me like a year of being on stage before I could actually get comfortable. Really comfortable doing it, like an hour, hour half-long show, all in Spanish.
1: Oh yeah, well that's not bad you know? of here. And you can you can you translate stuff that you were doing in English directly in Spanish? I did, I did translate did. some
2: stuff, but then quickly I started because I I came here with the purpose of integrating fully into the culture. Mm. I actually came here running away from there, so I didn't want to be reminded of the U.S. I didn't mm-hmm. want to be in the expat bubble. I never did comedy in English. Oh, really? Ever. Oh. I did one night. I announced... I did it in a bar. I was freaking out. I didn't feel funny. I felt stressed out. I didn't enjoy it. Yeah. And that was like 10 years after I'd been here. So, like, I've always done it in Spanish. And I just quickly learned... Because I lived here with a Spanish guy and his Spanish family. I learned all the issues here and that I wanted to talk about. So I just started doing comedy that referenced this this culture.
1: Yeah, yeah, cool.
2: So I don't, maybe I'm the only Gary here who does that, or at least for a while I was.
1: Yeah, right.
2: I mean, not not in Spain,
1: but in Barcelona. Yeah. And did you, was there a scene mm-hmm. here, like a comedy scene here? No? No. So where were you doing it then? I,
2: I, I got a theatre.
1: Oh, you did your own shows? Yeah, yeah. and I did my own shows in the, the theatre. at the Yanti,
2: At the Antioque. And then I was so lonely that I decided, I need a I set up an open mic, but no one understood the concept of open mic here in 2004. Yeah. Now, now you hear the words open mic here, open meek. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, nobody knew what that was, so I had to call it festival open meek.
1: Right, yeah. Just to,
2: just to give it some form, like it's a show. Yeah. And then I had to go uh, unearthing any kind of performer, whoever, like... Singers, mimes—I right. can't stand. <laughs> you know, like any Jogies. kind, dan- flamenco dancers, anything to put together a variety show. Yeah. And, I, and 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 I, I—that lasted like a year, and it was fun, but it was too much work because people here weren't dying to perform. Yeah, they didn't—they didn't need to. Their lives are too good, or at least they were. Yeah, their lives are too comfortable. They don't need to express all this stuff. Their lives are— their lives are art yeah they, they think that's they have lunches that can last three hours, you know right right, right. not so much anymore, but back then right. their their lives are totally different they're they have such beauty incorporated into the daily life. I'm talking about from an American perspective, yeah that they don't need to um what's it called sublimate the suffering mm. <laughs> into art as much as maybe in American. More less empathetic cultures. We're mm-hmm. getting into deep shit here. No, oh, it's
1: interesting though. Why, why that they, they don't feel the need to. They yeah, maybe
2: now they do more because their economies,
1: you know, yes. destroyed. And, yeah, like just like Ireland, Yeah, yeah. Ireland, Portugal, uh, Greece, Greece, and Spain. It's called pigs.
2: Right, right.
1: Yeah. We're all Catholic but, countries as well. You shouldn't be allowed to have a credit card at the Catholics. <laughs> you just go crazy, <laughs> free money. Damn,
2: yeah. But don't think it the just, consequences. So. That really does impact a lot of the the, the whole mentality. So then the, the open mic, I got tired of doing it, and I thought I got to do something easier, but we will still bring. The whole reason I did the open mic is because I was lonely. Mm-hmm. So I then I came up with the idea of doing a karaoke that was freakish. You, you were lonely.
1: You you were.
2: I was artistically lonely. Ah, and. Creatively lonely, like, I missed, can, You mean, can you imagine what it is to go from, like, s- spending, like, the last 10 years surrounded by brilliant creators, writers, comedians, um, from, you know, in Austin and New York and L.A., just mm. the best, to going to, like, Barcelona, mm. where that doesn't exist at mm. all. There's other things that are amazing here, but that was not one of them, and I was just totally alone and mm. didn't have anyone to bounce ideas off, didn't have anybody to watch to be inspired by, and the YouTube thing wasn't um, oh, right. so strong yet. Yeah. So, so I decided, well, I, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just gonna try to create something where normal people from here can be freakish and be funny and. It, it, see if it takes off and I really didn't expect mm. anyone to be interested in the anti-karaoke except expats from Britain and Ireland and the US mm. people spoke English and knew all the songs because mm-hmm. I, I t- just took English rock and roll repertoire English speaking rock and roll repertoire yeah,
1: yeah.
2: and it, and the local people fucking loved it really yeah, yeah especially the repressed Catalans mm. they, they needed it
1: yeah, right, cool.
2: they needed a forum to Go crazy and be badass because they're they're very they're kind of proper not not proper it's not the word but they're more repressed. Mm. And
1: so, what was the show? What does the show entail? What? What's well,
2: the I, audience
1: I, are involved, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I would so. just I would I dressed outlandishly and mm. and like a sex shop like nurse you know latex like vinyl yeah PVC nurse outfits. It just not trying to be sexy just more like drag queeny and mm. big and i would present it as if everyone was a huge fucking star
1: right you
2: know cuz that's what people respond to also they if you treat them like a star a star they probably they might act like one mm-hmm. they might they might do make a little more of an effort mm. and and i was able to create a this vibe there like the audience like this is your job and I still do this, like, this is your job, you clap really hard, no matter how, what shit you just saw on stage, you right, know? Right, right. And we, we're we all going to take part in this charade, and we're going to act as if everything's great, mm-hmm. and as if we're happy and all that. And, and people end up being very happy. Because of that. <laughs> You know? Yeah. And so I would do some numbers, do some parodies of rock stars at the time, or celebrities, and work a little bit of like sketch theatricality into there and yeah. made a costume table with wigs and boas and so people could put on silly stuff and cool. And it's just like the whole attitude was like, we're not interested in seeing you imitate Axl Rose or be cool or put on an air. Just be yourself. Yeah. And the worst singers the worst singers and the shyest you know, most dysfunctional people became the biggest stars. Yeah. Because, you know, the it was like rooting for the underdog, you know, because mm. they would try so hard and mm. they would put so much into it and the audience just fucking loved them to death.
1: And the audience were behind them. They weren't laughing at them no, just... no,
2: no, 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 yeah. lo- no. They yeah. no. No, it was a totally empathetic yeah. environment. In fact, people then, like, visitors from the US or Great Britain or, yeah. you know, other countries, like, where they were used to seeing karaoke's, they would come in and they'd be like oh my god these Spanish people are amazing like they'd be intimidated like they know the songs better than me and no I'm not going up there yeah because we made it into a show yeah it's not just a karaoke no it's not just a karaoke. it's life yeah. life or death you yeah. know and I guess people needed that
1: that's so. and that ran for or that runs still but. yeah yeah but um, it's ten years ten years but uh, that was your first
2: that was that was the thing that, that kind of put my name... Well, that they, they got me, a, like, a steady paycheck and yeah, yeah, yeah. kept me from having to teach English, yeah. which I still think would be kind of cool to, to do. To teach
1: English?
2: Yeah, I've never done it, but that's what most people do here.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And did you take it anywhere outside of Barcelona? Did you take it around?
2: Yeah, I took it to Madrid yeah. and to Andalusia. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Andalusia. to... Never outside the country. There was a company in England that was trying to get me to do a lot of pubs with it and I just, I didn't want to do it. It's something I don't want to do outside. It's not a show you can actually, it's not a traveling show. You have to grow it organically from...
1: With the community. The community. Yeah. 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 yeah.
2: You have to build, people have to build their confidence and build their, their persona and their, you know, the audience has to Build their understanding of it. Otherwise, it's just a regular karaoke.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. Is it once a week, then, you're doing it? I was doing it once a
2: week, Mm. and now I'm taking a break, and we're doing our last show on January 22nd.
1: January 22nd. At at Sidecar. God,
2: I'd love to see it. Oh, too bad you can't be... Oh, no, you don't speak Spanish, right? No. I have a lounge show with a depressed exotic dancer called Coniologos. Yeah? Yeah, and it's like... I call it a comedy sexual, like play the piano and sing and do some stand-up. And she dances, she gives lap dances absently on the audience members and drinks their beer and throws glitter on them. When is this on? This is on Thursdays at Barnes. Too bad. Well, I'll be back again. Yeah, you'll be back. Yeah. You really inspired me watching you do stand-up. Yeah? Yeah.
1: Well, that's nice to hear. I... Inspired you to do something again?
2: Maybe like to do it again in English. Yeah, to...
1: yeah. yeah.
2: Mm. I don't know. Like, I just felt like I didn't have anything to say to people from English, like from America mostly. Because mm. mm. I, didn't, I didn't want to have any more conversations. Mm-hmm. It's weird. That's never happened to you, right? Because you, you're Irish, you speak in English but you did travel all over. Well, I did
1: travel, but I've, I've never, I, I have at points uh, realized that I've been doing the same set too long and I hated it, but yeah. I needed to write. But I don't think I've ever totally dried up. Uh, yeah. but, uh, and then, so when you're writing a show, a new show in Spanish now, do you take uh, some story, do you take uh, something, an attitude or something that's happened to you?
2: I'm trying to write like, like three or four of them right now at the same time, yeah. <laughs> I can't. I can't figure out how the hell to write it, yeah. or like what what focus. But I need to write something that's real and right. that has to do with my uh, this this. I started a YouTube, a YouTube channel last mm. April mm. in English, mm. just to give myself psychotherapy. To speak to English speaking people, which I hadn't done in mm. 12 years, about my personal demons and the, the kind of abuse that our family um, exhibited, which I did some online research and I found out exactly what it's called. And what is it? it it's called narcissistic um, personality
1: disorder. I've heard a lot. Mark Maron talks about that. Who does? Mark Barron.
2: Oh well, yeah, yeah. Because I remember his joke about his yeah. mom leaving a to-do list when they went away on vacation. And one of the things he had to do, like besides mow the lawn, was put the dog to sleep. Yeah. Put the family dog to sleep, like on the list, like buy milk, yeah. get the get get the house cleaner here, put dog to sleep. He had these horrible parents that he would talk about. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, uh, and I
2: knew his ex-wife.
1: She oh yeah. Lo-
2: yeah he's a tortured guy and well
1: he talks about it a lot on
2: and he's come a long way
1: yeah yeah. he
2: I gotta say he was one of those comedians that other comedians would talk about and go oh Maron, he's a great comic but he's such a dick you know yeah cause he had fucking issues that he mm-hmm. he was not he had to learn how to clean, him, clean his house and be a to be a good person, like
1: all of us do if we have those things. Well, he talks about exactly that same thing as well. You won't allow yourself to... Does he
2: talk about that
1: actual... That actual thing. Recently, recently he discovered it.
2: But he Um, doesn't have it. He's not diagnosed with it. He
1: thinks he is. He's diagnosing himself with it.
2: Mm. Janine Uh, Garofalo also diagnosed herself as uh, a self-aware narcissist.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: And they were good friends.
1: <laughs> okay. But and he recently interviewed the oh God, what was his name? the guy who wrote the game. Um,
2: oh, Neil Strauss. Yes, and
1: Neil Strauss has talked about that with his mother. His mother, he said, he could not have a relationship with a woman because his mother wanted him for herself. He was
2: like a personal extension of his mother. Yeah,
1: so. and he had to break away from that. Yeah,
2: it fucks uh, you up big time. Mm, mm. It, it it creates you 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 can end up being a narcissist when you're raised in that environment or you, you be, you're a scapegoat mm. and you can also become a narcissist after becoming, being a scapegoat or you're a golden child the mm. favorite child like Neil Strauss was his mommy's little extension so she treated him nicely but she really didn't because she never really saw him she just saw him as part of herself mm. but it, it's, it's, it's a, it sets you up for a lifetime of failure mm. if you don't figure out what it is and how the fuck do you figure these things out Internet, you know. So I figured some of this stuff out about about my family and my mom was an alcoholic and a narcissist. And it, I mean, I'd see mothers in movies. I'd see like I'd see mothers in like TV shows and sitcoms, and I go like the Brady Bunch, you know, or the Partridge Family. I go that mom is so cool, and like her kids love her, and she acts like she loves her kids. What's going on there? Like that's (laughs) what. And I'd like like be embarrassed if my mom was in the room when these shows were on because it was so obvious like the glaring difference and I felt responsible you know so and then I, I finally saw like the movie like Ordinary People or Mommy Dearest and I'm like finally someone who looks like my mom you know <laughs> like, so so I started this YouTube channel last year just to just talk about everything yeah. t- t- all the stories and all the stuff and finally decode it but nobody knows about it
1: Oh. <laughs> Well, I'm just have up. Is, are you talking about... You're talking about growing up and all this kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, and just, yeah. like,
2: identifying, like, this right. this behavior is... Here's an example of this behavior, something that happened to me when right. I was in sixth grade at yeah. a birthday party here. It's, people need to... They need to... Um, it, it helps so much to get... It's not enough to know that something was wrong and fucked up and that you didn't deserve to go through that. Mm-hmm. It helps so much to get a label for it mm-hmm. and see hundreds of other people telling the same fucking story mm. and you're like i thought only my mom did that or i thought we only we were the only ones who thought that and you see that's the beauty of the, of the internet one of the good things mm. you you the a critical mass develops and all of a sudden the consciousness changes mm. and and the more people that dare to talk about it yeah the more people other people talk about it
1: right
2: and the more Everyone heals in the morning. Mm. Anyways, I'm sorry. I'm trying no, to answer I'm, your question. I'm, I'm
1: really interested in that because I'm uh, uh, thinking along those lines myself, and I've thought about doing uh, uh, what's it called C C uh, behavior therapy. What's the C word at the beginning?
2: Cognitive, <laughs> Cognitive behavior. behavior
1: therapy. Have you ever tried that? Or? No. No.
2: I I'm haven't talking. tried anything, yeah. um, and oh, here okay. the the resources are even poorer. Oh, okay. But. Okay. I've heard about that, as opposed to another kind of therapy, neurolingu. No, well, we'll talk. I'll send you
1: emails. Yeah, I'll okay. Look it up. Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Yeah, I think so. it's
2: those things are good. Yeah. Anyways, in, 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 in answer to your question, I would like to make a show where I'm talking to Spanish people now, because mm-hmm. this channel I set up so so the people here would not know about it. Oh. Because I have too much of a public profile. Yeah. And I started to write these things on my blog,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and it it was it was too much for me, for my public you know it was just i didn't feel comfortable I realized i need to I need to go back and be anonymous mm-hmm. <laughs> anonymous on youtube so i I make videos in english, which i i hadn't spoken English for like ten years, you know mm-hmm. really i hadn't wanted to talk to people, but now I needed to talk English. Because I needed to talk to a foreign um, yeah, yeah, element yeah yeah yeah, where I, who would not know anything about me, yeah, because here people know too much about me, yeah. so um, I did a lot so since april it's and it's i don't know if it 's nice, but it kind of annoys me because that channel, which I secretly have and don 't promote has two, over 2,000 subscribers and, like, almost 200,000 views and my, my channels that I want people to know about are, like, miserable failures. <laughs> in comparison, You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd like to do a show that somehow...
1: Incorporates that in Spanish?
2: In Spanish and, and maybe in English, you know? Yeah. Do an English show and really mm-hmm. talk about stuff that, and, and, and make it funny. You know, yeah, cool. what stand-up comics do, I heard?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, apparently you have to be funny. Yeah, <laughs> but that's
2: my favourite kind of comedy.
1: Yeah. You know
2: who Eddie Pepitone is? Yes,
1: I know, I've giggled him as well. In the Fucking movie. love him. Yeah, he's good. There's something Buddha he's called. The, the, bitter, bitter
2: the Bitter Buddha. The Bitter yeah. Buddha, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my favourite kind of comedian. Yeah. You ever see his tweets?
1: Uh, Things I'm, to
2: do today!
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know he gets off stage a lot and, and kind of heckles himself.
2: Yeah, yeah, he's <laughs> he's got some self esteem issues, but yeah. the sweetest guy.
1: Yeah, he's yeah. nice, actually. When I was in LA, actually, I tweeted, I sent a DM him, direct message him, and he was gonna, I was gonna meet up with him, and then it just didn't it didn't turn out. Brody
2: Stevens, do you know him?
1: I don't know Brody Stevens. He had a
2: series. He's very, uh, he's yeah. he's open about his um, bipolar disorder, and he's had uh-huh. some very bad. Episodes publicly, like a breakdown on Twitter, like in real time, and actually Zach Galifianakis um, reached in and helped him directly because he's a friend of Zach's. Yeah. Yeah, he's a brilliant guy. Yeah. Brilliant guy, but
1: I must check him out as well. I think we've done it. Yeah, this is like
2: three hours long. I'm
1: going to edit, but uh, I feel I so think. sorry for you. Yeah. I have to it's, go listen to the song. Well, it went by like. Um, in a, in a, I don't know.
2: Please edit out all personal references to myself. It's so then you'll have like a three minute <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, No, but thanks a lot for talking to me, Rachel. It was
2: Thank a- you. Can I say one last thing? Yes. As a comedian, check out flamenco music.
1: Okay. Music.
2: Yeah? Yeah, I'll send you some links. Oh, please do. Yeah, because comedy to me, stand-up comedy is like, it's pain with a twist with a mm. twist on it mm. or who said it's it's ugly it's it's anger with makeup on who said that I don't know somebody I, I can't remember well stand up comedy is like sadness or anger with a twist to make it mm-hmm. presentable funny mm. but flamenco is just the same thing but direct and you don't have to put a twist on it
1: yeah yeah is that something you're going to do as well <laughs> sorry that must mean that we have to finish okay next interview <laughs> yeah. Well, Rachel Aryev there, and uh, she has written to me uh, to tell me that I apparently have inspired her to go back to trying a bit of doing a bit of stand up in English, which she hadn't done in. Since she moved to Spain so I hope that works out for you Rachel and thanks for meeting me um, I hope you all enjoyed that if you are a first time listener then uh, please uh, give me a star rating and a review there on uh, iTunes yeah it's very important that you do that actually if you are listening because uh, you know I appreciate all the uh, the uh, messages I've got and uh, the tweets and all that but if you can give me a rating on iTunes it just helps podcast and helps me um, to, um... To get some, uh, it just makes me feel good. So uh, I also will be doing a live podcast uh, coming up soon and uh, that'll be in three weeks. I'll tell you all about that once I have booked the have the uh, lineup settled. Um, that's it, yeah. Thanks to Andrew Manglin for producing and Daniel Rooney for uh, the music. Next week I'll be talking to Anne Gildee and that's an amazing interview. I, I, uh, t- t- talked to, I read her book, uh, I've Got Cancer. What's your excuse? Brilliant book if you uh, are thinking of reading a book and uh, her life is just incredible so it's just a great story um, have a listen uh, to that next week I'll talk to you next week thanks, thanks a lot for listening Goodbye. bye mm-hmm. bye 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 bye
2: I'm seeing something it's smiling at me but not a friendly smile the worst smile i've ever seen in my life da, da, da. do you see it right now
0: smile rated r only in theater september 30th